Our New Testament lesson this morning is going to come from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you, in, you also stand, through which you were being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. He appeared to James, to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether it was I or they, so we proclaimed until you have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was one of those kids that when I was a, a young boy, I was... I started, I started needing glasses when I was, um, when I was very young. I, I think by the time I was in third grade, I was wearing glasses. And I wasn't just wearing glasses. I mean, I was wearing the Coke bottles. I mean, I, I, remember, I remember my glasses were those ones that had the, 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 the curve to them. Like, and the curve to my glasses would sometimes stick out like almost a, like an inch to me outside my frames. My glasses were heavy. I mean, they were not light glasses. I, I joked. I, had to, I walked around like this sometimes because my glasses were so heavy. And I, I wore glasses for really all of my childhood and into my, into my teenage years. Um, Playing football was interesting. Thankfully, I was, I know, I know, Tim, I look very athletic, like I was probably a running back or a wide receiver, but no, I was a lineman. I know I don't look like it. I look svelte, you know, like a, like a receiver, but alas, no, I was a lineman. I did get to run the ball one time, and I'll tell you that story one day. It's pretty amusing. Um, but um, I was lucky as a lineman. I just had to hit the guy in front of me. It didn't, didn't require a lot of eyesight. It's a good thing because I couldn't see. Well, my senior year, I got contacts, and I wore contacts for several years, but I'm lazy, and so I'd forget to— I'm lazy and cheap, which is not a good combination for contacts, so I would, hey, I'd forget to take them out, and then I'd leave them in for too long. I'd get an eye infection, and you know how it goes. So eventually I said, fine, I'm wearing glasses. Glasses are just easier. I'm going to wear glasses. That's what I'm going to do. So I wore glasses up until 07, and then in 07, I got LASIK surgery. And of all the money I've ever spent in my life— LASIK was the best use of money that I've ever had in my entire life because I went, you know, into the procedure, blind as a bat, and I came out, and I could see. Some folks had LASIKs, had the complications, you know, with dry eyes, and I, I had none of that. I had the procedure. I came out, and literally within a day or two, perfect. And I had 20-20 vision for years, for, for, for almost, a de- almost a decade. Perfect eyesight. Then about, um, about three or four years ago, I noticed I started at the end of the day, um, 
having some headaches. Nothing bad, nothing awful, but I just started, my eyes were tired. I started getting headaches, and, uh, and I went to the doctor, and she told me, said, well, Andy, that time has now come, and you need bifocals. So I blamed Tim. I didn't need bifocals to work with him, and I'm sure something working with you made me get bifocals. I don't know. No, no, nothing to do with my age at all. Nothing to do, nothing to do with me with my age at all. Yeah, so now I've got bifocals. Not bad. I, I, they basically, these basically are souped-up readers, uh, but I do have bifocals at the bottom, which helps me a lot when I'm reading, and I don't, I don't get headaches anymore. But, but, um, but these glasses are how I see the world. I mean, without them, I'm, when I'm reading up here, it's down there, I can't see. Um, I, I, these things are, are indispensable to my life my reading, to my working. I need my glasses. Without my glasses, I can't see properly. Um, it's not as bad as it was pre-LASIK, but it, they're still, they're pretty, still pretty essential. These are, in many ways, my gateway to the world. Without these, I cannot see properly as I would like to. The book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, to me is one of the more interesting books in all the Bible. Um, it's such a fascinating book because Corinth is a neat town. Now, Corinth, Mississippi is a neat town because you can go to Corinth, Mississippi and get a slug burger, which you should definitely do at some point in your life. But Corinth in, in Paul's day was not really like Corinth in Mississippi. Corinth in Paul's day the town I'd best compare Corinth to would be New Orleans. Corinth, like New Orleans, was a port city, which meant it had an international flair. It was a merchant city. It was a city of commerce. So Corinth would have a lot of the same um, blessings that modern-day New Orleans would have. Good food, good culture, stuff to do, fun town. Like, it's going to have all that stuff. Corinth... Um, had, would have also had, um, shall we say, some of the, um, shall we say, temptations that New Orleans would have. It was a town of debauchery, a town of great idolatry, a town of disparities of wealth, uh, a, a town where there's a lot of worldliness. It, it was a town with a lot of, it was a very Greek and Roman town, not a, not a huge Jewish influence, very it was, a, it, was a, it was a pagan town. I mean, pagan is a, the word I probably would, would be best fitting to describe the overall culture of Corinth. It was a Gentile town. A lot of idolatry, a lot of pagan worship, a lot of worship of Caesar, a lot of worship of Roman and Greek gods. That was just the culture of the town. Paul came into Corinth and started the church. It was a very young church, a very immature church, a church with a lot of new Christians that didn't have that same background that some of the Jewish Christians, Jewish churches would have. These Jewish churches would have um, a background in the Old Testament. They were going to be, they, they were going to see Christianity as, in many ways, an extension of the faith that they had been a part of. Where coming from a Gentile perspective, it's a whole new ball game, y'all. It's a whole new ball game. Everything's different, and they're coming from a completely different culture. So there's a lot of immaturity and a lot of struggles there. So Paul started the church in Corinth and then went off and did other churches, but he got word back. That, oh boy, Corinth, man, they having some problems there. So Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians where he addresses a lot of their problems. 
they were having problems with division in the church. It's going to shock you, Tim. In Corinth, get this, get this, Tim. In Corinth, there were some people that liked certain preachers over other preachers. Can you believe that? It's shocking. Yeah, I agree. And they would say, well, I don't like this new preacher because I like Apollos, or I like this one, or I like that one. And they'd fuss and fight about who their favorite preacher was. So Paul addresses that. There's issues dealing with immorality. There's issues dealing with whether you should, how, how much you should participate in the culture of Corinth. There are issues dealing with what worship should look like and spiritual gifts. And then there's even at the end of the, the, the book, what we read today, there are even doubts and struggles and fights over the resurrection itself. And so what Paul does with each of these conflicts, it's, it's neat if you break the book down, he addresses each conflict and he takes each conflict back to the gospel. Well, okay, so you're fighting about who your favorite preacher is, great, but here's the thing, it doesn't matter because it's all about Jesus. You're dealing with immorality, okay, well, here's the deal, you were bought with a price. And so you have to live a certain, a certain moral code because your life is not your own. You're fighting about, you know, spiritual gifts. Great. But let me show you a more excellent way. Pursue the greatest gift. If I speak the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a clashing gong or a clanging cymbal. That's the highest of all the gifts. And then Paul here today, this passage today says, okay. He's, he says, the resurrection is the center of the gospel. What Paul is doing with these conflicts the church is having is he is asking them and telling them, you need to look at your conflicts through the lenses of the gospel. The gospel must be the lens that you look at all of your conflicts through and all of your problems through. The gospel must be the, 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 the glasses, the vision that you use to think through your problems. And then for Paul, what's at the center of the gospel? The resurrection. So chapter 15 is a defense of the resurrection because the resurrection is the center of the gospel. So he says, this whole resurrection business, this isn't just some made up fairy tale. Cause some were saying it was a made up fairy tale or saying that it didn't matter. Paul's saying, no, this resurrection matters. He was crucified as the scripture says. He rose, as the scripture said, and he appeared to these people, and these people, and these people, and these people. And listen, half of them are still live, living. You don't believe me? Go ask them. I'm not making this up. And then he appeared to me so that I could appear to you. He's saying the resurrection is not some fairy tale made up by some dumb, by some dumb apostles. But it's the very truth in the very center of the gospel. If the gospel is the lenses that we look at all of life through, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of that gospel. The resurrection is the center and the indisputable truth of God. There's a great quote I love. Um, it says, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. I love that quote because it, it captures so much. I'm not some naive optimist 
that says that life is perfect. No, life's hard, y'all. Life's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, <laughs> sometimes when I get a little grumpy, the, the staff will call me Eeyore. Sometimes I go into my Eeyore mode where everything's bad. Nothing good's going to happen. You know, I, I admire Eeyore. Eeyore's my guy. I love me some Eeyore. You know, so I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful, but, I, but there are, I'm not naive. There are real problems in the world. Jesus Christ died. He was nailed to the cross. So there is problem. There are problems in life. There are struggles. Life is not a fairy tale. There are hard things in life. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So I'm not a pessimist either because as great as the problems are, Jesus is greater. As great as the worries are, Jesus is greater. As great as the conflicts are, Jesus is greater. I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. That's what Paul's saying here. The gospel must be the lens that you look at all of life through. And the center, the centerpiece, the heart of the gospel is the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, free has overcome sin, death, and the grave. We are neither optimist nor pessimist. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And friends, that must be the lens through which we look at all of life. What's that mean? I'm sure everybody watching this video right now. Your marriages during the quarantine have been perfect. You haven't at any time during this time gotten irritated with your spouse. I know that because at no time during this time has Holly gotten irritated by me, irritated with me because Tim, I mean, she knows. She knows she got lucky. I mean, she knows she doesn't gamble because she already won the lottery. hey Yeah, you've probably had some times when you and your spouse have had to go to your different corners, haven't you? We have to look at our marriages through the gospel. We have to look at our marriages through the resurrection, meaning that, yeah, in our marriages, there's going to be conflict. Yeah, there are, there are, there's going to be times in your marriage where you're going to get sick of your spouse. I tell young couples when they get married, you know, the first six months are all ooey-gooey, oh, you're so cute and sweet, and then about six months you roll over and realize, oh, my gosh, I'm stuck with this person now. What do I do? And the new wears off, and that's when marriage begins. We must look at our marriages through the resurrection. What does that mean? That means that we understand that it's hard sometimes. And if we only, if we begin to check out of our marriages when it gets difficult, then we'll never truly joy, know the joy of marriage. The resurrection says, yes, things are difficult at times. Yes, there is a cross. There is a cross. But that cross is transformed through the resurrection. The resurrection takes this cross, which is an emblem of suffering and death and pain, and turns it into an icon of resurrection and of hope. So in our marriages, yeah, 
There's difficult times, but those times, through God's grace, if we allow God's grace into our life and allow truth and love and honesty into our marriages, they will make our marriages better and stronger. When we love our spouse as Christ loves his church, we love sacrificially. We, we serve sacrificially. We give sacrificially. We honor sacrificially with each other as Christ did for us. We live out Christ's love for our spouse. And frankly, y'all, it's most Christ-like when it's the hardest. It's the hardest. Some of you are exhausted from homeschooling your children and also working with your children. Some of you kids are sick to death of your parents. Parents, do you look at parenting through the lenses of the gospel? Yeah, there are struggles with teaching your kids. There are. Not just teach your kids academically, but just teaching your kids in life. You think Christ ever got frustrated by his disciples? Of course he did. But he loved them because his job in that moment was to prepare these apostles, these disciples, to become the apostles who would lead the church. Our job as parents is to love our children and prepare them to become the adults that God has them to be. And as kids, I know your parents probably get on your nerves at some point. But Jesus understood the notion of authority and understood the notion of, of living under authority. As he told the centurion at one point, he said, I too am someone who lives under authority. Jesus honored his father. And as Christians, as children, that I'm a child. I have parents. They, you know, I love my parents. I still honor them as, God, as Christ honored his father. Do we look at those relationships through the lenses of the gospel and the lenses of the resurrection? the transformative power of the resurrection. Do we look at our economic situation? Some of you right now are worried about your jobs. Some of you this morning may have already lost your jobs, and I am so sorry, and I grieve for you in that. Some of you are small business owners that are just trying to figure out how to keep it going, and that can seem overwhelming and seem like there's no hope. Just like on Good Friday, it looked like there was no hope, wasn't there? But Easter was coming. Now listen, one of my favorite quotes is, hope is not a strategy. I'm not telling, Paul said, because Paul said, you see what Paul said? Paul said, I worked hard on the rest of them. It wasn't me that worked, it was grace working within me, but I worked hard. I'm not telling you not to be thinking creatively and not to figure out new ways to live in this, but I'm telling you, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope, because I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Christ is risen from the dead. There are problems, yes, the cross is real. Pain is real. Hurt is real. Stress is real. But the resurrection is real. The resurrection, even in our economic situation, is real. Do we look at that through the lenses of the gospel? I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Christ is risen from the dead. And he is with us. Don't lose hope. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on your economic situation. 
Look at them through the eyes of resurrection. Look at them through the eyes of the gospel. These glasses here are kind of plain and kind of, they're just black, basic glasses. But I, I don't, I'm a pack rat. I keep up with everything. Holly's the one that if it's sitting around the house and it's not been touched in two days, she throws it away, whereas I keep everything. So my old glasses look like these glasses. They really look a lot alike. They aren't identical, but they look similar. So one day I was, I was looking around for something. I found my old glasses, but I thought they were these glasses. So I put these old glasses on my face and went, whoa, and like, I couldn't see anything. I, I, got, I said, whoa, what is happening here? I can't see. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't understand what's happening. I realized, oh, put on the wrong glasses. Look through the wrong lens. Look at the wrong, look at the wrong lens. Messed everything up. If we're looking through, our, looking through the lenses at our family of our own worry or fear or doubt or sin or stress, and we aren't looking through the resurrection and looking through the gospel, we're going to see it wrong. You're going to see every little thing your spouse does wrong that irritates you. You're going to see your struggles. If you're looking at your relationship with your kids with the wrong glasses, you're going to see where they're not doing things like you'd like them to do. You're going to get irritated and frustrated. If you're looking at your parents, you're going to chafe under them. If you're looking at your job, you're going to see every potential thing that could go wrong and every potential problem. And we're going to be overwhelmed by fear and doubt and anger and disunity and discord. If we're wearing the wrong glasses, we're not going to see correctly. Paul and Corinthians takes everything they're dealing with back to the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. The fact that God sent his son to die for our sins, to be resurrected, to return for us. He takes everything back to the gospel. So don't fuss over these things because you're a child of God and so are they. Live in a certain way because you're a Christian. The greatest spiritual gift is love. And the resurrection is the heart of all of this. You got to wear the right glasses. So this morning, friends, what glasses are you wearing? Are you looking at your life? Looking at your family? Looking at your fears? Looking at everything? The lie of the gospel? lie of the resurrection because when we do that we'll see clearly we'll see our purpose we'll see our calling and we'll see how we're supposed to love not just our spouses and not just our kids and not just our parents and not just live into our economic realities but we know how we're supposed to love the world and God so loved world. Y'all, it all comes down to Jesus. It all comes down to Jesus. May we see all things through the light of his resurrection. Let's pray.